Okay, welcome to the Queen Anne's County Commissioner's meeting. This is a public meeting that is being aired live on our local cable television station, QAC-TV7. This meeting is also being streamed live over the internet at qac.org backslash live. These media broadcasts provide county citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public sessions. We acknowledge your participation, and by attending, you acknowledge that this session is both recorded and aired. The scheduled agenda is available on the information table just outside of our meeting room. Press and public comment will be taken and is limited to three minutes per person. If you care to speak, you must sign the sheet on the information table outside. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing for the commissioner's review. During the meeting, we would ask that you turn all electronic devices off and hold personal conversations outside of our meeting room. We will now stand and be led in the Pledge of Allegiance by Commission President Jim Moran. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We remain standing for a moment of silence for, silence for all those loved ones and friends that have passed in the last year. Thank you very much. All right, Commissioners, today's agenda for our special meeting, January 2nd, 2020, was, was distributed electronically for your review. Are there any additions, corrections to that? If not, can we have a motion to approve? Motion to approve. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. All right, that brings us to our first press and public comments period. Thank you for taking the time to express your views to the County Commissioners during this public comment period. Comments are limited to three minutes in length. Comments longer than three minutes should be submitted in writing. When you come forward, please speak clearly at the standing microphone. State your name, address, topic of interest. Keeping with the dignity of the office, we ask that all views be expressed in a respectful and civil manner. The Commission respects your desire and right to convey your message freely. And we ask as a courtesy to the Board and our citizens that you respect the Commissioner's request and refrain from naming citizens and name-calling when offering any critique. Okay, Sorry. Mr. Warren Wright. Uh, Warren Wright, uh, 201 Myers Road, Chestertown, Queen Anne's side. Um, my partner is going to speak to you all about uh, one of the uh, submissions tonight for uh, changes in our ordinances. But I just wanted to mention some things about uh, our liquor board and compliance checks. Um, we do compliance checks as all the other counties do. We do them a little better, but we do them to, for enforcement and to educate everybody and to warn so that uh, underage kids aren't aren't served uh, or sold to. Um, Queen Anne's County is that's particularly important to Queen Anne's County because, as you know, the percentage of kids that use alcohol. Queen Anne's is higher than the state average, and the state average is higher than national average. You guys are sure aware that in the state of Maryland, if you're looking for a place to buy alcohol or be served alcohol, there's about one for every 2,000 people. In Queen Anne's, there's one for every 1,000 people. Um, so 
an average of the stats, which I know you guys have seen a hundred times, is when we asked the 10th grade kids, have you had at least one drink in the last 30 days, 41% said yes, and of the 12th graders, 57, 58% said yes. Now remember, uh, I, when I used to regularly come to you guys and ask for money for compliance checks, and we stopped that because you helped us change the law so that the liquor inspector in Queen Anne's County could do all the compliance checks. And since they've done that, we're not only seeing all of the um, package stores, but also all the restaurants. And they do it in a, in a way, because in order for a compliance check, because you don't do them that often, to be worthwhile is if every business in Queen Anne's County knows that there's a chance they could be checked. Doesn't have to be all the time, it just has to be consistent. And since you guys have allowed the our former uh, liquor inspector to do that, that makes the process so much better. Um, regular visitations. Uh, that's a th the goal that according to the National Institute of Health, every three to six months, uh, that's what's effective. The others are not effective because they're random and they call ahead and they know they start on Kent Island and head up the highway. Those are ineffective. Uh, I do know, according to the National Institute of Health, um, two things. One, the Liquor Board here is really doing a great job with that. Two, um, this is going to be opposed by business because every one of them have a chance. Uh, most of our businesses, of course, are they don't want to serve minors anyway, but it's generally opposed when you can tell that the counties are doing a good job because it's sometimes opposed by other businesses. And um, as again, our only concern about the new ordinances is uh, number B, serving to under kids that are less than 21, and Kathy's going to speak to that. Thank you. Thank you. Your better half, Kathy Wright. Happy New Year's. <laughs> um, my name's Kathy Wright. I live at 201 Myers Road, Chestertown, Maryland. It's in Queen Anne's County. Um, and I'm a member of the Drug-Free Coalition and have been for over 20 years in this county. And some of the concerns that we have that the coalition has stipulated, if the kids, if the servers aren't old enough to drink alcohol, they shouldn't be allowed to serve alcohol to persons over the age of 21. We'd argue, the coalition would argue, that the 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds aren't skilled enough to recognize fake IDs or have the capability to deal with underage drinkers. They also may overlook the fake IDs of others because their peers may be coming in with the fake IDs. They may choose to serve their friends even though they know they're not of legal age to drink. And we've had numerous adults serve alcohol to minors after looking at their driver's license that clearly indicates that they're not 21, the vertical versus the horizontal, and it's all in red. And the adults still serve the minors. So the chances of 18, 19, 20-year-olds serving, we think, is going to be higher. Um, law enforcement has consistently said throughout our coalition meetings that they've had complaints from servers from a bar on the island, I'll just leave it at that, um, complaining that the parents are giving them a really hard time because they won't serve their underage sons or daughters. And the servers, the adult servers, are complaining to law enforcement about that. And that's been going on for a few years that I'm aware of. Um, let's see. Um, and, and we don't think 18 to 20-year-olds would have the skills to contend with adults that are berating them in a restaurant in a public situation. 
And also, we don't think 18, 19, 20-year-olds are skilled enough to prevent and recognize alcohol intoxication. So those are some of our concerns that we would like to, to express to you. I know Warren sent some information to all of you, some of the information that we're talking about just now. Um, we also suggest that alcohol servers, regardless of their age, be required to call, uh, attend TAM training every four years to, and get recertified to serve anyone. Right now, I believe the liquor license holder or one employee, one employee is presently working is trained in TAM. So we, we think they should be done that. Um, Warren talked about the other part, um, and he also talked about that. So that's all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's all that is signed up to speak. Would anybody else like to speak at this time? Seeing none, we'll close the press and public comment. Okay, so, Todd, what do we want to, I know we have these broken down into three groups. Are we going to go through each one of the groups and go back and, and make We can. I know you had, the board has some questions about some of the various pieces of legislation that have been proposed by the Liquor Board, and we have a few pieces that we've written ourselves. So um, it might be best to call uh, um, the chairman of the Liquor Board and their attorney and Patrick up, and we can go through these. We have an outline here in front of you and uh, go through each one of those. Okay. Uh, if you have questions, you can certainly uh, ask those as we go through them. And I, there's an outline here for each of you as well that um, you should, I think you received that uh, electronically as well. So, all right. All right, I guess we'll, we'll start off with, uh, and you have the same outline that we have, and we are looking at the bills proposed by the Liquor Board, Alcoholic Beverages, Article 27. The LB stands for Liquor Board, and this is, uh, the first one is 27-1601. This eliminates the provision that a license, license cannot be issued within 500 feet of a place of worship. And I guess what we'll do is we'll allow you to just basically tell everybody how this came about and, and what's the benefit of it. And I apologize, everybody. I'm a little under the weather. So if I sound stuffy, that would be the reason why. <clears throat> and if my voice gives out, that would be the reason why. Right now, we're giving out temporary licenses. In order to get a temporary license, you have to meet all the requirements that a regular license would. One of them would be being 500 feet away from a place of worship. And we have churches that ask for liquor, temporary liquor licenses. So this removes that uh, place of worship requirement, and it does it for everybody, and it, it cleans it up so that when a church or a nonprofit uh, organization wants to hold a, an event in a church hall, they can get a liquor license and there won't be any issues with it. Okay. Does anybody have any questions on this? Any, any angst on this? Seeing none, I think we'll just go ahead and, if there's no, no if there's, comment. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we're, well, I guess we'll do this by motion, and, and I'll make a motion to approve 27-1601. I'll second. We have a motion and a second. Any further discussion on that? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you. So the next one is 27-205. This strikes the header indicating that the liquor inspector is full-time and leaves a provision that the liquor board appoints the liquor inspector. The county attorney has drafted two bills concerning whom appoints staff for the liquor board. Uh, I guess we're going to refer to items PET1 and PET2 below. I can find that. 
right? So why don't, why don't we go with, I'm going to just call you Joyce. Joyce, if you don't mind, just go ahead and uh, tell us uh, your version, and then we'll go to the county's version, and we'll take a look at this. So with, with regard to our version and the striking out of the full-time position, currently the liquor inspector serves in a part-time capacity. It may be that with the um, starting date of the new liquor inspector that we may find that when they're doing all of the inspection duties they're supposed to be doing, meaning that they're investigating, they're inspecting each place every 60 days, they're looking for trade practice violations, they're looking for um, compliance check issues, things like that. It may be that we need a full-time liquor inspector. We don't know that yet, but if we just take out the full-time aspect of it, then we're still in compliance with the statute as far as whether, because currently it's part-time. With regard to the uh, who appoints the liquor inspector, it's the, the statute has said that the board appoints the liquor inspector. The liquor inspector is an agent of the board. They're essentially doing the board's duties when they're going out and conducting these inspections and the compliance checks. So it would make sense that the, that the liquor, the board would be the people, the group that supervises, that one, appoints their agent and two supervises their agent at least with regard to the enforcement aspect with regard to with regard to the administrative aspect that's currently done by planning and zoning and we see no reason why that would change but i would just point out that throughout the state there are only two counties two jurisdictions i should say where the board does not appoint the liquor inspector one of them is caroline county and um Although they don't appoint the liquor inspector, they are the ones that set out the liquor inspector's duties. And in that case, it's a unique situation because that liquor inspector is double duty, works as code enforcement, and as the liquor inspector. So that's why they appoint th that person. There is another jurisdiction, I believe, I think it's St. Mary's, um, where they, uh, the county administrator appoints, I'm sorry, the county commissioners appoint the liquor inspector but they do it with the advice and consent of the liquor board. I have a printout of every jurisdiction in the state and how they do it. We would say that because it's they're acting as our agent that we would like to continue to be the person that appoints them and do so in conjunction with planning and zoning or HR or the county, however it may be. Okay. So the only addition to that is you've got two, two counties um, sit, county commissioners set, sit as ex officio the liquor board. So like Ken, Ken County, County, Ken County is Ken one, and I think the other one's Howard or Harper. Or, but there's two counties where you would sit actually this year. And that's true. Kent County, it still says the board shall appoint, though. Um, and but then, the board is the county but, commissioners. Right. The county commissioners. But, yeah. but curiously, it doesn't say the county commissioners shall appoint, right. just as they do it in their capacity as a board member. And do you want to, who do you want to speak on behalf of the, the county's position on this for like well, the, I can tell you what they do. Okay. I mean, okay. Particularly now, because either way, uh, PET one, uh, the law currently says the board employs a secretary, inspectors, and clerical assistants, and sets their compensation, and and that really doesn't happen. The commissioners do it. That changes it to say the county commissioners employ those people and set their compensation. PT2 changes the appointment of the liquor inspector from the uh, board to the county administrator. 
That's what they would do. And in response to PET-1, we have uh, LB-6, which is, they're both discussing 27-204. Uh, the, the, the changes we added there were, one, we just brought the, the statutory payment up to the current, what cur the current payment is. We, you know, we haven't increased it at all. We just brought it up to what the current payment is. Uh, with regard to Section D in that matter, in that, in that um, statute, rather, it's the county commissioners appoint the county attorney. Um, they do so without any input from the liquor board. And the liquor board would just like to be able to have some kind of advice and consent in that regard. <clears throat> The um, the payment, the way it's in the statute right now, is it it lists what the the, the floor is for the payment, right? I'm sorry, what was that? The the, the stipend part that you were just talking about it isn't the way it's listed right now. Is it's the not less, not less than, than. So not you less can than make it right, whatever. So right. we, we currently it's right. we pay more than what that amount is. Yes, right? exactly. <clears throat> So I, I guess what we have there is we have three different issues in that one. Is that correct? And I mean, because when we're referring back to the the PET one and PET two, they're they're addressing more than just one issue. And I don't know how we want to break these up. If we want to just maybe go down and hit some of the other ones also and see see because some of this is going to get confusing because it, it it's a lot of paperwork. So so let's let's I'm going to jump us down to twenty seven dash fourteen oh one. This is this three. Is that where you are? Yes, LB3. LB3, yeah. LB3. This eliminates the provision that a new licensee must provide ten signatures references within a precinct where a new licensee is proposed for issuance. References must be in this precinct and be registered voters. And but this is to strike that to remove this. It is, and so there's two issues with this. One, it's precinct and not district. So a lot of the time, people come in and they'll bring in voters from their district and not their precinct, and we have to send them back. And then e even more of the time, I would say majority of the time, the signatures are illegible. Uh, regardless, whether they're legible or not legible, no one that's trying to be, become a licensee is going to bring a signature in of someone that doesn't want them to have a license. It's always going to be someone that's in support of their license. So it, it just seems like it's an awful lot of work for Ms. Maxwell to do to research this, to confirm that they are legit people in the correct precinct and it's really it's it's just it's just a pro forma requirement that doesn't really solve anything because like i said no one's going to put a signature in there something that doesn't want them to have right. a and regardless of the signatures you guys are still going to be evalu right. evaluating right. that application right. so yeah it's almost like a petition signatures don't you know, the prior swing. owner puts it up on the shelf hey would you sign this for me and i don't think lots of times they have a clue who right. signed for it right. Yeah. right well that one's Little more, <laughs> one we can get off the table. So, no further discussion. I'll make a motion to approve 27 1401. Second. Any further discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you. And now we're going to 27 101 2019. This adds the definition of deliver when transporting alcohol outside of a licensed premise. That probably should be read together with LB5. Correct. 
to it should With be 27 1902 yes right? okay yes those really are together as one but you could do one well, it wouldn't make other. any sense to, to define deliver, which is what... Oh, if we, if we if remove it all together. We were trying to distinguish between delivering alcohol to your table and delivering alcohol outside the premises. Mm -hmm. So that, that's why we have that in there, in 27-101. Okay. okay, so 27-1902, this adds a requirement for delivery of alcohol that you must be 21 years old. It also permits 18-year-old employees to sell, serve, pour, stock, alcohol provided... The employee has alcohol awareness training. So, okay, so. The, the reason we, if I may, the reason, we wanted, the reason we did this is right now the statute's unclear. It, it talks about on-premises and off-premises. We have people in this county who are serving alcohol and they are under the age of 21. If you follow the statute to, if you follow it by, by exactly what it says, they shouldn't even, even be serving alcohol. So this the statute will pull everybody in so that everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing legally, and it makes the 18 to 20-year-old um, have to take the tips and tams training so that they um, are familiar with what, what to do. It does prohibit anyone from uh, under the age of 21 serving, I'm sorry, delivering alcohol in a vehicle. I would point out that uh, fake IDs today are of such high quality that they will go through many scanners. So a bartender just running it through a scanner quickly to try and check it isn't really going to prevent underage sales. If you have someone in on site who is 18 to 20 years old, they're going to know who. I mean, they, they all hang out together. They're all on social media together. They're going to know exactly how old somebody is, whether they go to Queen Anne's County High School or whether they go to Ken Island High School. They know each other. They're going to be able to recognize the people that are um, under 21. And the, under 21 with a fake license that actually scans through properly. And I would say these people are very skilled about uh, what a fake ID is. Uh, I, I, I will say my son came home from college and he schooled me on what a fake ID was. There are certain things that you can do to a fake ID that you can't do to a real ID. Uh, so essentially this just allows them to do what, they're, what for the most part they're already doing. I will say we're one of the few jurisdictions that doesn't allow someone 18 to to 21 to serve alcohol. Uh, I know Baltimore City does, Baltimore County does, Worcester County does, Montgomery County does. There's, there's quite a few out there. They're just the ones I know of because they're the ones that either I have worked in when I was under 21 or my children have worked in under 21. So those places are out there. This would just allow them to all do it legally. So are training. you referencing just on-premise locations for this? Would they, so this would cover no so an, an on-premise on-premise license only, or just if you have uh, off-premise or on-premise license. So this this would be for both off-sale and on-sale. So someone who is eighteen to twenty-one years old working at a liquor store in a summer job, uh, right? They would or they would not be able to. They if they have the training, they would be able to. So you're just requiring that if someone is a stock boy in a liquor store in the summertime for an off-premise license location, a liquor store, they'd have to have TAMS or TIPS training. We think that anybody <clears throat> who is under the age of 21 would benefit from having TIPS and TAMS training if they're dealing with alcohol. If they're not dealing with alcohol, then no, we're not requiring them to do that. Okay. Um, if they just work there in some other capacity, then we would not require them to have that. But it, it, it's certainly not going to hurt them to have this. And I will tell you, if most colleges, most fraternities and sororities require kids to go to TIPS and TAMS training in college to be part of the Greek life. So it's something that will will benefit all 
18 to 20 year old. I'm not disagreeing. I was just getting clarification. Oh, yes. And I will point out that right what the current statute says is they may not uh, an individual under the age of 21 may not be employed to sell or otherwise deal with alcoholic beverages. So when I go to a table and I order a glass of wine, that waitress is selling me that alcohol. And generally, she's under the age of 21. Very often, she's under the age of 21. So it's going on in this county anyway. This just makes it legal, and it makes the server or seller um, educated about what they're doing. Hmm. Okay. And that, I guess one of the questions I had with that was, I thought we had this broken into, when we were talking about uh, poor in stock, bartenders. It That's would, really the distinction. It would cover bartenders. It would, so it, to me, there's, there's little difference from a server coming in and doing a wine presentation at your table and pouring your glass of wine than a bartender pouring a glass of wine at the bar. There's, there's little difference. There's still, it's, that person, whether they're attending bar or whether they're serving at a table, they're both selling, they're both serving. So it's going on in this county already. In the, but you're saying and it's been illegal all these years? Yes. Yes. And this just makes it legal and makes them educated about it. Yeah, they've been allowed to be a waitress. They just haven't been permitted to be a bartender. No, I just, I guess to that point, for the last 10 years, how old do you have to be to be a bartender? 21. Right. How old do you have to be a waitress to serve alcohol? It should be 21. You're saying if you follow the statute, it should be 21 to serve or sell alcohol. Mm -hmm. The only distinction in the statute is on-premises and off-premises, but it doesn't say, it says serve or sell. Mm -hmm. So you're, and my point is you're serving and selling when you go to a table, just like you're serving and selling. No, I agree. I agree. So, so we have not been in compliance with that at all. No. Correct. Forever. Okay. So the former so, law, it's, it's broken out here. It says they could serve alcoholic beverages while acting as a server on the licensed premises. So your waiters, waitresses have been serving under that section. But that section... That's what I'm trying to get at. Why? It's the sell aspect of it. So, so the sell aspect versus the pouring at that aspect. Point, yes. Okay. It's just a you know what this is what lawyers do for a living. No, no, I'm, they I'm not. They parse I, words and they look for you know. So that's why we're here. That's, that's why, why we're trying to understand them all from this. From parsing words and coming back and saying, well, you are allowing this or right. you're not enforcing that. Right. So, and if if it's not something the county commissioners want to do, then it's just something that we will let our liquor inspector know. And to that point, I will. So, 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 hold on, hold on. <laughs> You're proposing that anybody who serves alcohol, serves alcohol, a server, a waiter, in a restaurant, has to have TIP certification. That's what you're asking of us? No. Or you're saying they have to be 21? 18 to 20, 18 to 20, they have to have TIPs and TAMs, okay. TIPs or TAMs. okay. So they can be a server serving wine in a restaurant as long as they're 18 to 20 years old and they're TIP certified. Yes. And then we're in compliance. Okay. Thank you. Well, if we, if we adopt this. Right. That's right. Okay. Right. But see, I think there's a difference in the function of a bartender and a server. Yeah. Right. And the bartender tends to be a more high-volume alcohol dispensing job. Right. And that is where you have – you're prone for abuse if – you're 19 years old and your 18-year-old friend comes in. You're not – could that happen if someone's sitting at a table? Sure, but I don't think that's where you're going to really see 
the abuse as much. My, so my concern is bartenders who aren't 21. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with servers. Um, because when I was in the restaurant business, we always sort of looked. The bartender was the one who was serving it, and you were bringing it over. And I, I understand you know you can read it different ways. I'm okay with the servers mm-hmm. right. bringing the drinks to the table because the bartenders are pouring it. If it's a mixed drink, they're doing the count, so you make sure you got the one ounce in there. I mean that that makes sense. But a bartender, I would just be worried about someone under 21 as a bartender. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we stipulate. Just, that so you, to clarify that, you would support the 18 to 20 year olds having the the the, the certification. Yeah, as long as they had the certification right. being able to serve the alcohol. So, as as a server, not as a correct, not, not pouring, pouring it. it. Right. Pouring so it. then you could so, to do that, you could strike the word pour that we had added, uh-huh. just eliminate that. But mm-hmm. I will point this out that. Generally, people who are underage, they don't go to the bar to get served. They go to the tables to get served, and they have their buddies go to the bar to get served. So because it's just easier for them to get served at tables than it is at the bar. <coughs> Bartenders usually hard more. But if, if that is a concern, then I would, I would suggest that we, you strike out the word poor, and then that would allow them to serve and stock. Correct. So if we struck out the poor, just to be, make sure I'm clear of this, we strike out the poor... That holds in place the bartenders still have to be 21. They still have to go through the certification. But now we're including the 18 to 20-year-olds also at the tables will then have to go to certification. So what kind of burden, I guess one of the things we're missing is what kind of burden is that to to businesses that now have to have their employees go? I mean, is this a... uh, How long is the course? Is it... it What's involved with getting this certification? It's it's not much. I think it's a three-hour course. Um, and they can even take the take the course online as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say that all of the support that for for the people that spoke about this when we had our hearing on it, for the <coughs> right testified against it, consistent with with the testimony tonight. Mm-hmm. Other than that, the um, licensees they were all in favor of this because they thought one, it's it get, it gives them it opens up employment opportunities. <coughs> It'll, so when people leave for college, they still have other people who can come. I mean, because it's a, a lot of times they're hiring someone under the age of 21 to work, and it gives it allows them to staff their their workplace. And we didn't have a single licensee speak against this. As far as the 21 and the delivery, I think it's unlawful for someone under 21 to, to be in possession of alcohol anyway, but it does emphasize that fact to our license well, holders. Well, getting, I think we did have someone, we might have had someone, as I remember, maybe doing deliveries with someone under well, 21. Correct. That was, and that, that well, was getting back to, to 101.219, 2019, the definition of delivery. So on the deliver side, they would still have to be 21. They were not yes. lowering that age. Yes. That, that, they have to stay at 21. Nothing, yeah, they have to be 21. There's okay. no way to get around that. Right. I think they have to be anyway. Right. Which just want to want to clarify. Emphasizes that. it. Yeah. So you're and you're saying the the businesses when you had the hearing had no heartburn over the the course for the 18 to 20 year olds. No, they were. It, it was all positive okay. um, discussion and comment from the licensees, the current okay. licensees that spoke. Okay. And I'm sure Mr. Wright would testify that he would be very much in favor of that. Right. Of the deliver piece. Right. Well, I gotta I gotta believe that. Well, and no, I mean, no, the training having also the 18 is... to 21 year olds take the tips and tams course. Yes. That's what I'm trying. And, and I would say we agree with 
with um, Mr. and Mrs. Wright uh, that all people, I, I shouldn't say we, we've all discussed this, we've never voted on it, but I, I see no problem with requiring anyone that has to deal with alcohol to have that tips and tams training. I know Talbot County does it. Their liquor inspector actually teaches the course, so it's a little bit more convenient for them. But it's a, you know, it, it's not going to hurt anybody to, to learn this course. What, what does a course cost? Um, was it thirty-five dollars for, for the most part? The actual manual that they use is sixteen dollars. So the, yeah, the well, this, I this, think Talbot County will yeah, will give it to law enforcement and um, liquor boards for cost, but then they charge you know an nominal fee, another sixteen bucks just you know overhead to rent so, the room. What and it's portable. It's portable. So right, once they get it, they could jump from establishment to establishment. So typically, who who takes the initiative to? To get the training is it the employees paying for are the employees paying for themselves to get it so they have it and are marketable because they have it or is it the employers when they hire them say okay we're going to pay for this so that By a you little have beach it. probably yeah. a little beach it would be both mm -hmm. let me ask one question what does the word the addition of the word stock add to this well i believe i thought stock was already in there it is it is and i'm asking you why because if you're just stacking cases and have no interaction with the public or any decisional capacity at all other than stacking boxes or something, what does it mean to have it? Well, we struck stock from subsection three below, and we were just including it back in there so that someone, I mean, they're not serving, so, uh, you know, I don't know why they would necessarily need the tips and tams, which goes to service, um, but because we struck stock below, that's the only reason why we put it back in there. And they, and, but, Commissioner, if you had a problem with that, you could strike stock in red and put that one line um, that's in blue that says stock alcohol beverages under you have to be at least 18 year old, and then you wouldn't have to be tipping tips or TAM certified in order to stop. If that's the concern. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems to me if you hired some kid to stack up cases in a liquor store that. Well, well, I would, I would say you need, to keep it. You, are. you need to keep it because you have barbacks that are behind the bar. If you have you the 21-year-old requirement, those 18-year-olds cannot work as barbacks, so you do not want okay. to keep it that way. And it's not just stocking boxes. It's stocking into their reach-ins and into their coolers as well. Right. right. Well, that's the barback. Yeah. Right. That's your barback. And you, yeah. Sounds like a man with experience. Mm -hmm. huh? Who's that? Stevie? I uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I got... Uh, by choice, several years ago, got tip certified. Uh, but I used to be in the restaurant business, and and uh, it was required that the liquor license owner was tips or TAM certified, and at least one employee that was on the clock at the time that the restaurant was open had it. But I've always been a big fan of of anybody who serves alcohol. Period. Whether you're pouring it or you're serving it, or even if you're stocking it as a bar back, that you should take the three hours and get certified. It's an educational process. It tells you, um, it, it's, it's, it, it goes into detail about exactly what someone who is serving alcohol, whether it be in a restaurant or whether it be in a, a package store, identifying problems or situations where someone may be overserved and, 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 and recognizing some of those signs. So it really is a science. And I just think that the more education that you can give somebody who's going into this business, the better. And that's exactly what this would do. So it sounds like the only question is over this issue of poor and being a bartender. Correct. That's what. And the 
the issue there is going to be what happens when someone has to do a wine presentation at a table. Part of a wine presentation is they pour the bottle. So that's why we are just trying to encompass it all. Um, so this would allow people to hire an 18-year-old to serve 18 to 18, 19, or 20-year-old to serve to pour behind a bar, but it doesn't mean that they necessarily are going to. I think it's what the benefit that we had heard was that it allows them to have waitresses because some places were not letting waitresses or waiters under the age of 21 serve. They weren't even hiring them because they were they couldn't pour in in their mind. They couldn't pour or serve, um, and they certainly couldn't pour. So the serve is you know another issue. So um, I, I just fear that if you strike it from 2B2, that it, it's going to cause a problem with waitresses and waiters who have to pour at a table. And it may be that it can be more clearly defined and say pour at a table at, rather than pour at a bar. But uh, again, I would just point out that generally underage kids aren't coming in and hopping up to the bar. They're going to liquor stores and then they're going to, they're sitting at a table and having their buddy order for them at the table. Hmm. Well, I, I guess to, to some of what you're saying, I don't see a waiter and or waitress mixing a drink at a table. I mean, yeah. pouring and sampling of, of, of the wine, I'm fine with. It's, it's the actual mixologist uh, and access to all those different things. I, I, I think that that, I agree with Chris that, uh, you know, the bartenders we leave at 21, I really would like to know how many 18-year-olds or 19-year-olds are out there serving as waiters and waitresses and what kind of impact that puts. I mean, that to me is, is if, if it's already been going on, all we're doing is asking them now to take the, the course and be in compliance. So I, I, I don't have a problem with that, but I definitely don't want to lower the age on the uh, bartender. Bartender. So I guess what I'll do is I'm going to make a motion to approve 27-101.2019 and 27-1902, striking the word poor out of those. And so that, just so we're clear that the bartenders will stay 21 years and older. Your waiters and waitresses can be 18 to 20. To 20 with the uh, proper uh, uh, tips training. Tips training. And you'll have those several months between before it will be enacted that will right. give those people the time. Right. It'll be, it'll be a July or an October implementation implementation date, so they'll have the time to get the certification. I would Can I get a second? Second. So we have a motion and second. Any further discussion? Yes. On this? yes so is there a way to make the verbiage so that you protect the bartender side and the wine tasting. I mean, pour is a very broad word. Is there a way to separate it out and be more specific so that both are, your concerns about the bartenders are covered, but also the concerns about being able to do wine tastings at tables can be, I can't believe we can't come up with a couple more words to make this work. The current law, the way it's been interpreted is it distinguished between selling, which, there's, which has always been interpreted to mean that's what a bartender does and serving, which is what a waiter or waitress does. That's why restaurants will have servers under 21, but not bartenders. And this sort of changes all that. I, I don't know if you might not be better just going back to the prior verbiage and adding the uh, tips and tams training in. In other words, leave the law 
the way it is. Well, I, I haven't seen poor before. So it's, poor is creating the confusion. I think if you take poor out, I think it's always been interpreted, you know, if I've ever been asked, if, if a waitress brings either wine or beer to the table, many times it's beer. They bring a glass, they pour in the glass. I've never seen that as being considered a bartender. Right. It's it, always maybe, been interpreted maybe, maybe, the server brings maybe it to mix, the table. Maybe mix. <clears throat> maybe mix the... You, you, two, mix you two are the attorneys. You, 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 you see where we're where we'd like to get with this so so if i could you could define you could have a or could be a defined term you can so i don't have my my code books here but in the general provisions alcohols are defined and you could add poor wine a wine beverage or ferment wine is defined you could add the words wine to it if you want i would just point out that in some restaurants the, bar, the wait, waiter or waitress actually goes behind the bar, mixes the drink, and then comes back. So this, this, the way it has, the way this county has operated uh, has been that they're just not allowed to stand behind a bar and pour, which really makes no sense because they're allowed to mix the drink anyway and then serve it to the table and sell it at the table. Um, so this, this would just clear it up. But you can actually say pour wine which I think would fix everyone's concern, and then you would just reference wine in the general provisions. And I don't know where the definitions. It's going to be somewhere in probably section one. Yeah, it has to be beer, beer and wine. But uh, you know, I I don't think I've ever seen a waitress go behind a bar and makes a drink or, or pour one. You know uh, what? You will see that. So you'll see it occasionally when when it's busy Slam. and they're in the weeds, right. and well, and it's it's simply they've got to do <clears> they're bringing it up. Very busy. Right. The dupe okay. is sitting there. And they reach into the cooler and they grab their beer, they open it, and they take it to the table. Mm-hmm. This way they don't have to wait for the bartender. So, I mean, you'd, you'd be kidding yourself if you said it doesn't happen. It does. Okay. But for um, me, I, I, I see where Joyce is going. It could be interpreted that way, but that's not how it has been interpreted. So I, I, are we working on a solution for something that's not a problem? I mean, I, I haven't ever heard that voiced. I haven't seen anybody charged. It's never been alleged. When we're talking about something that I, I don't know that's ever been an issue. That's my no. but, 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 but she's a exactly but, but Joyce's counsel too, and I could see we you could you could certainly make that argument, but it's never been made. So I mean are we just I mean we I did know. have someone written up this year, somebody was I think three weeks shy of twenty one and they served beer and they we had someone violated for that this this summer that happened. So it it does happen out there. Um, you know, I, I just, if you're allowed to serve a beer and you're allowed to sell a beer t- to a table, I, I just don't, I personally don't see what the difference is if, you know, to sell or serve it with a lid on it as opposed to not a lid on it. You should be 21. If, if you want to make it 21, it should be 21 and they should all have the training. Um, I just think that if you're, if you want to employ 18 to 20 year olds and the licensees said there is a need to employ 18 to 20 year olds. This would allow them to have that training and to um, to actually serve, to do what they're supposed to do, and be 100% in compliance. Because just because we weren't enforcing it doesn't mean it was okay. Mm-hmm. We should. It, I'm of the belief. I'm a rule follower. I'm of the belief that we should follow the rules as they're written, and we shouldn't make exceptions. But I think if you want to keep wine out of it, you just simply. I'm sorry. If you want to make poor wine or pour at a table, I think you can do that distinction 
easily. My concern, if you say pour at a table, then that doesn't encompass wine, which is really the only thing that it sounds like I'm hearing that you really want, is them to be able to pour wine at a table. And I think you can do that by referencing the statute and the general provisions. And if Mr. Well, Thompson... No, they want bartenders to have to be 21. Right. We're not worried about table-side dispensing. Right. And this would not would allow eighteen year olds. You really need waitresses eighteen twenty. That's your college age students. That's yeah, where they make right. the money. That's yeah. you know that's a that's a staple there for the community. Really. So the question goes back with the approval of the two of these removing the poor. Does our code enforcement understand which one? General. Is this a, a legal? Is this in a way we come up with something better than that to distinguish between bartenders and mm -hmm. waiters and waitresses? Okay, I mean just striking. So beer is defined in one one oh one C, and I thought wine was defined as well, but I'm not. And wine is in one one oh one double D. So if you wanted to carve those two things out, you could do so by referencing those two subsections. But how would that restrict someone 18 from being a bartender? I think what you're saying, I think the way you do it is you, you would define poor as, as referencing beer and wine. I guess that's the way. Under B2, right? Yeah. Well, no, just would be a new definition of, of poor in the definition section. But then poor is not a bartender. I, I don't know. That addresses it, may, it could create more confusion. Than I don't know. But you could do it that way. Could you say that some of the, the poor does not apply to servers who are dispensing tableside? Never been applied that way. Yeah, I mean, could you, maybe we could maybe write it that way if, if there's some confusion. Or I'm sure there's got to be in other counties where they have it, where the bartenders are 21 and the servers there's, are 18. There's plenty of counties right. that have it. Well, just how do they write it? We can look at that. To have what? That, that allow you to be a bartender at from 18 to 20. Hmm. No, we were asking, I think Chris was saying, is, is there other counties that have it where the bartenders are 21 and older but the servers are 18 to 20. I believe there are there are one or two. Tom, do you know offhand? Yeah, there's quite a few. So how did they write theirs? Probably most of them. you go back to the, the current statute as Jeff was pointing out, that's how we've always interpreted it in the past. Mm -hmm. The current statute. 21. There hasn't time. been an interpretive problem. So I do. We want more. Well, if it hasn't been an interpretive problem, why is it in front of well, us? Well, so there, I would disagree with that statement. Okay. One licensee came to me and said, "What's the deal?" You know, he he was told he had to come up with a whole new cash register system so that one of his waitresses could sell alcohol at the table, and he came to me with with this issue. Um, and then, as I said, when we discussed this, the licensees were all for it because they were happy with the idea, and I think they recognized that. You know, a lot of their 35-year-old servers don't know who is really 21 or who is, you know, and, and to, to that point, to me, look, if everybody, if some kid walks into a bar and everyone knows them and their licenses are from Pennsylvania, well, they're really not from Pennsylvania. Um, but there, there's this belief out there, there's a, some licensees will say, you know what, they showed me ID. I, I'm in the clear. 
So I don't know that if you're if the true goal is to get rid of underage service, I think having someone under 21 there to recognize these people is one way, a good way to do that because just carting them isn't going to stop underage kids from getting served. But we're talking about two different things. I mean, that's the one issue that it seems you don't want to go there. The real issue is over this poor issue. And what does poor mean? And if you, if you just say beer or wine, then I think you're covered because I don't think we have any places that just have a beer and wine license, do we? No, no, we're talking about to define, right. we define bartender, for example. Right. Another way to do it would be define bartender. Define. There are different ways to do it. Um, <clears throat> or pour at a table. purposes of this legislation, what I'm hearing the commissioners say is they don't want the bartender, they want the bartenders to be 21 and the waiters and waitresses to be under, can be under 21 as long as they take tips or tan. Correct. That's what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now the issue is, is how do we deal with, we take pour out, is there some problem with those waiters or waitresses, those persons under 21, bringing the wine or the beer and, and serving and essentially pouring it at the table? And all I'm saying is I've never known that to be a problem or anyone questioned that, whether they could do that or not. Hmm. I think it's, lots I of think it's really more glasses than pour the beer for you. Side wine presentation. So the, the server is expected to, to, for one, show the, the label that that's the bottle of wine that they, the guest ordered. Then they open it up and they pour it and it's sampled and the customer says, that's great, I'll take it. So that's a table side wine presentation. If somebody orders a beer, you're asked, do you want a glass of that? No, I don't. Or yes, I would like a glass. They bring the beer and they bring the glass and there's no pouring. So the, really what we need to define is, is a, a table-side wine presentation that the server does. I just think we're, we're making more out of this than we need to. I agree. Yeah, I, I think you should leave the language the way it is and just add the requirement for tips and tans for 18 to 20 year olds for servers mm -hmm. under 18 under 21 and leave the bartending at 21 well I understand that but Joyce is the chair of the liquor board and th these issues are going to come in front of her so I'd like to know if that works for you also I mean I don't I don't want to have a if, if, it, if that's conflicting to what you think then then, then we have a problem so I, I don't want well, I will just say one licensee spent a lot of money to get a separate cash register that was specific to an a under 21-year-old server, had an under 21-year-old server. They came to me with this concern. They said, well, what's the deal? Are we allowed to, are we allowed to, are they allowed to sell or serve? Because I will tell you, the person that teaches generally tips and tams training around here tells all of them, no, you're not allowed to employ someone that's under 21 to sell or serve alcohol. Because sell is not defined in anywhere in the statute, neither in the general provisions or the local provisions. So when you come to a table, you're selling the alcohol. And um, not that we have franchises here, but you know, franchisees will tell them, okay, well, you want to you want to sell the alcohol. You know, this is our special we have this month. You really want to sell this. So they're the ones who are selling it. So that's that's why someone came to us with a concern, and we're trying to fix the concern and. You know, I, I know that some of the licensees were resentful that they couldn't hire 18 to 20 year olds to sell when other places are having 18 to 20 year olds to sell. But does this not, by having them take the, the, the class, does that not solve your issue? 
I mean, which, if we leave it the way Pat said it, leave the law where it is, but add that 18 to 20-year-olds have to go through the, uh, the TAMS, TIMS, whatever, the, the course. So does that not fix the problem? And we, if we leave it the way it is, are you, Pat, you're telling the way the law is written right now, it, it stipulates? Well, I mean, but again, that's the way I, have, I think it's historically been interpreted is that when you talk about servers, you're talking about waiters and waitresses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you just required them to be dips and tams trained, mm-hmm. I think it would would do it. But if you're if the liquor board's interpreting it that eighteen to twenty year olds can act as waiters and waitresses and serve alcohol, then well, I think the law says that. I mean, if you read the original statute, it says no one under the age of twenty one may be employed to sell or otherwise deal with alcoholic beverages. So you don't have the 18 and 20-year-olds in that mix right now. Correct? No, you do. That in the next mix. section, in next section, an individual at least 18 year old may be employed to, uh, what it said, serve alcoholic serve, beverages uh, while acting as a server. So, but it's a definition of serve. Is, and that's is what I was about question. to point out. You right. can change the definition of serve to include the right to pour beer and wine right. at the table. That's what I'm saying. That's that's the, right. we're, we're down to where it's the serve part of it is, mm-hmm. is the serve. So you can find serve instead of pour. Right. And that's, do it that that's, way. That's what I'm thinking. I would Does that work? keep serve up in two. I would get rid of in B two. I would keep the word serve there as well. I see no reason to remove serve. I, I see reason to remove poor, uh, but I just see no reason to remove sell. I'm not saying remove it. All I was saying is you could define serve right. as including the right to pour beer and wine right. at a table. There you go. Mm-hmm. And isn't that addressing the last concern? I mean, right. well, because then poor is not an issue. Serve in on in B two that you can't have bartenders as uh, under twenty. Uh, you can't have bartenders. You would allow bartenders under twenty one. So the poor, in, in our minds, pouring encompassed bartenders and pouring at a table. So it covered both because we knew they were pouring at a table, and it covered pouring at a bar as well. Um, so you can hit it two ways. You can just remove poor, and then it'll be an enforcement issue. Or you can define serve or pour wine and beer pursuant to 1-101. Can we just put something that says notwithstanding anything here, nobody between the age of 18 and 20 can be a bartender? Is bartender defined in there? I was about to say something. <laughs> no, bar, bartender, bartender is not. Neither is sell or serve. The only things that are defined are on and off premises. That's why the current language, what Pat was referring to, if you stuck with the current language, maybe it's a little clearer. Because it, it starts right out by saying you've got to be 21 to deal with alcohol, except that you may serve alcoholic beverages while acting as a server. You know, so it just kind of... Yeah, I think in the past, I've always said if you sell, the bartender sells, but the server is just serving. There's two two things that happen. First of all, everybody's selling, okay? As a restaurant owner, I want my staff to upsell. So I want my waiters to upsell. But that's a phrase, someone says, I'll take a gin and tonic. Would you like beef eater or tangeray? You're upselling to a call. But there's only two things that are actually happening. The bartender's mixing and the server's delivering. There's really no selling, per se, right. or pouring that's going on at the table. 
So I think we're really trying to mm-hmm. make more out of this than what's actually happening in a restaurant. There's mixing, and then there's delivering in, in to the tables and serving. 21 to mix, 18 to 20, tip certified to deliver. So going back to the original motion, if we stay with the original motion, 18 to 20-year-olds have to get the certification. Bartenders still remain 21 because we removed poor. Can we interpret it for what Commissioner Dumanel just said? That's what you're interpreting already. But you're saying we could just leave it the way it is now and just change, add the, uh, the, um, the training with it. Right. I mean, if you, if you say server is what we all think of as a server, waiter, and waitress, and the bartender is selling or otherwise dealing with it. I think you could leave it alone, but no sense doing that if the liquor board is not going to interpret it that way. Well, this is all part of the legislative history, Mr. Thompson, right. so we're going <laughs> to... We're going to follow what the fishers want done. Um, what the commissioners want done is 18 to 20 year olds have the certification. Bartenders remain 21 years old. 18 to 20 can pour beer, can pour wine at a table. Sir, and you people are driving me to drink. I'll second that motion. I'll second that. Third that. But well, I don't know how you write that. Well, I mean, the other, you could write it one of two ways. I mean, you could write the way Pat suggested. I guess you would just add the requirement to have the, the tips and tams uh, in that second section. Chips that individual at least tams. 18 years old may be employed to mm-hmm. serve and add the tips and tams to that section. Or tips or tams. So it's just approved alcohol training is right. how we... That's whatever right. the language is. Mm-hmm. Right. Why can't we just vote on what you just said and then they but, can work on the language in the next meeting. I know there's only be three of us, but I think if we have the vote, we know the direction. We correct. can then just implement it. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So do we need to repeat that? No. Okay. No. So we have a motion. <laughs> we have a second. We a second. Uh, seeing no more further discussion on that horse. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you. So, again, 18 to 20s, we'll have the, the Margie, certification. Margie, get that all down clear. Yeah. 18 to 20, we'll have the certification. She's going to call Patrick. Bartenders anyway. remain 21 years old. Servers can pour wine and beer at the table. All right, 27-204. This gives the Liquor Board greater control and authority over their appointed attorney. So I guess we have to really look at what 27-204 says. That's what we started with earlier. You, you've got yeah. two versions of that. You've got a county commissioner version, and you have a uh, liquor board. So LB6 and PET1 go together. Okay. Well, they, they address separate things. Exactly. PET1 just addresses who employs the staff for the, uh, for the liquor board. Uh, LB6 talks about the, strictly about the attorney. PET1 doesn't deal with the attorney. What's the statute number? 27-204. So to the extent that all of these people are agents of the liquor board, the liquor board would like to have a say in who they are going to be. 
not doesn't necessarily mean they have to have the final say, but they would like to have a say in who it's going to be. To work with the commissioners on on finding out who that person's going to be. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Commissioners or planning and zoning, if that's who commissioner is delegated to, it would, they would like to, it to be a joint effort. Well, what I would like to do, and finally went back to this, I had a suggestion earlier for this, but uh, and I've talked to Todd about this, because of the way we handled the ED when we did the Economic Development Director, I think that was a very seamless process where we brought the commissioners in, we brought a representative of the EDC in, we had our HR department, we had Todd as a county administrator sit down. I think that's the best way, because if you do this any other way, any of these, uh, the liquor board is an appointed position. The commissioners are uh, elected positions. These are all politically driven positions from one level on down. I think if you take it to where you have that quorum and all the players at the table, then that takes a lot of the politics out of it. And I just think that uh, it, it's an administrative position that is paid for by the county, so the county administrator obviously should have a say in it. Our commissioner liaison to the liquor board, which we've just recently appointed, should be a part of that group. The commission, uh, the, the the board chairman should be a part of that group, and the planning and zoning as the actual department that handles it should be part of that group when they sit down to do that. And that's just my suggestion on the way we, I think we should go forward with it, because it worked very well with the economic development director, and I think it's a way to handle some of these other ones that may come up down the road, too. So is that kind of what you guys were looking for? Well, well... So with regard to the inspector, the issue was the inspector is our agent and is doing the investigation so we don't have to. Right. It was more of a supervision of the inspector that we wanted to maintain control of. The administrative duties, where they clock in, how they use county supplies, that was that's something that planning and zoning can right. handle without a problem. Um, and I will tell you, it, an issue came when we were hiring the new inspector. The issue arose that... HR asked me to write the questions for the inspector. But I can write the questions, but then I'd have to write the answers as well. Because if I have to write the questions, it would imply that they don't know what questions to ask or what a proper answer is going to be. But when we combined forces and we had planning and zoning and the inspectors all in, I'm sorry, the commissioners, liquor and license commissioners all in the same room, it was a seamless process because we were all a part of it. So the liquor board just wants to That's what I'm saying. maintain control of the enforcement aspect of it and then be have a say in who, who it's going to be. So it's not just a um, political appointee who isn't going to be qualified for the job or who isn't going to want to take direction from planning and zoning. For yeah, that, 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 I mean, it's like the sheriff. It'd be like the, the commissioners telling the sheriff who to hire. You know, having a say in who, who we hire is one thing, but the day-to-day -day operations and the direction should come from the experts, and that's your liquor board. But, but I think we should just have a representative from the liquor board, the chairman, because we couldn't have had the entire EDC sit in on the interviews for the economic right. development director. So you have right. someone who's a representative of those four <coughs> bodies to sit down. And I'm, come I'm referencing to. after that person's hired. Who do oh, they no, take their marching orders from? Right. Well, well, that's let clear. Let me point out that, that it's a little more than that. It says with the advice and consent, Correct. meaning they would consent. have to, the board would right. have to consent Correct. whoever you appointed. Right. Basically gives them a veto power. So, just so you know what the suggestion is. So, the way this is drafted now, right? Way right. Way so, right now, uh, we, we in, in in the PET, it addresses uh, to I double I with with the the money issue, 
So, because we are, you know, that's we may not be less than, so that would address that. Uh, the attorney portion at the bottom, uh, we could add in there uh, with the advice from the board, not the consent, but with the advice from the board under the attorney. The county commissioner shall appoint an attorney at a side of the county commissioner set with the advice from the board versus consent. consent. Right. Right. That would work. Uh, right. And then as, as far as number two, I think we're going to save that for another day. I, 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 don't, I don't think that, uh, I don't know that we, as, as the board, feel comfortable with basically uh, not, not feeling like we can talk to the attorney at any given moment, which is probably easier to get a hold of. So I, for one, think we should just uh, leave 27-204 up on the shelf and go with PET-1 in its place with those changes. Just in other words... With the advice of, correct. The board. With the advice of the board, so that just goes back to what Jack was saying. That have the board sit in, you know, one or two members sit in on the, on the hiring uh, of the attorney and, and the liquor board right. inspector, and, and go with it that way. So then, that, if you're covering inspector in that too, that's twenty-seven two hundred five. So correct, correct. Okay. And, uh, and, but we're we're covering that. And let me go back to two hundred five. Same process for both. Right, but it was, was there any other, when you say that, because if we... Well, 27205 PET2, it's currently drafted, gives the county administrator the authority to appoint the inspector. Yeah. Say that again, Pat? I'm sorry. Uh, 27205 uh -huh. PET2 mm -hmm. says the county administrator shall appoint the... So it takes the board's... With... with I would say with the advice from the board, add with the advice from the board, okay, mm -hmm. and allow them to sit in on all the interviews, and. Uh, so in this case, we have a relatively small board, so we could do that. We could, we could have all five sit in all the interviews. My concern with only having one person sit in all the interviews is that one person is then acting on behalf, on behalf of, of the, the board. Other, I, I right? don't know that you actually you can, Todd. Mm. I don't know if you can have. If you have the full, it's an open meeting then, right? And if right. you're talking about you HR, it's a it personnel is. matter. Personnel matter. You can have a closed session because it's a personnel session. matter. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So if we leave it the way it is, and then there's the understanding that it's going well, to I, be. I, I understand what you're saying, but we don't have that issue in anybody else. We didn't have a quorum uh, of the EDC sitting on the. Mm -hmm. you know, we, did we, not. we don't do that with, that with really anyone. Nine, though. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Difference. I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> Two people. I well, think a, quorum, a quorum on your board is how many? Three. 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 Yeah. Right. So, well, if, if you have it, three. if it's the advice of the board, you're not limiting it to right. any number. Right. You can the go whole back board and forth. Wants to come, they can. But okay. you're not making it requirement okay. as the whole. Plus, it can go back and forth. They can go have an executive meeting at another time outside of what the interview process is and come back with their recommendation. It, it's got to be the full board. Then you can't even interview if a board member's not available. Right. But this way, if you just say the advice, you're not limited. It's not limited right. to one, two. The whole board right. can be there. And that's the reason, remember, when you sat in when they did, I didn't sit on the last interview, but I was concerned about that if it was more than, yeah, more than two. Mm -hmm. Well, it, there is a personnel exception to the Open Meetings Act. And it, right. You can yes. be close. But how do you get an executive session as a, as, a, as a board with another group of people? That's not appropriate either. See what I mean? No, you, that can was have, the, no, you absolutely can have people in in a closed session, and I know that the county commissioners mm -hmm. do this all the time, you can, have, you can have people in a closed session that are going to discuss issues with you. HR is a perfect example. Right. Um, the HR 
person for the county isn't a member of the board, but they can go into executive session with you and explain what, what has happened in right. the personnel matter. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Well, the nice way what you're suggesting is you can come up with a procedure later. We aren't trying to establish yeah. procedure. Right. Just trying to establish it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I will just say the, the board's concern is that we are the people, the entity that's charged with administering the statute. We, we know what the proper inspector, what, what the requirements are of a proper inspector. So that's why we would, we would like to have a say in who's going to be the inspector, one. And two, um, our, our real concern is how the inspector is going to do their duties for us. Um, it, it just makes little sense to me that, that this is our agent and someone else is going to direct how they're going to operate. Okay, so let's go back to 27-205, to <clears throat> which is the, um, the appointment, uh, and we are, we are going to, we are going to, are we using ours, Pat, or are you saying using uh, the, the liquor boards? Because all we want to, we want to put in there, shall advise. Then we use ours. So we would just use mm -hmm. P2, oh, or P1? Point with the advice of. One. Yeah. The liquor board didn't really change anything except the title. Okay. Full time, which PD2 does, but it also <coughs> changes the appointing authority from the board to the county administrator. Okay. But we want to put, add in there under the. Well, that's. Wait a minute. One or two? Because one, one, one is for the attorney, two is for the Thank liquor you. inspector. Thank you. Okay. But both of those we have to add into the. Uh, advise the board shall advise advice mm -hmm. okay so that should cover 205 and 204 right. I, I will just say if something you want to consider Calvert County says with the approval of the county commissioners the board may appoint yeah, and then it goes on to say who they may appoint so that may be a way you want to do it as well Leave it as it currently reads and then say that we, the board, would require your approval. Well, we do well, that typically on a director level anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, we so it's, it's, that's already the way it's handled with uh, directors, so it would be not a big deal to advance it to that. So. Yeah. <clears throat> so in summary? It's already what we do. So. Yeah. So in su summary... Um, we're doing P1 and P2, and we're adding on both of those, shall advise. Advice, up from the advice of the liquor board. Correct. Good, Pat? Good. Goodness. So we've got that on both those? Yes. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? There we go. So now we're down to 27-1402. Is this one? This one is. This is liquor stores. So this change brings okay. us, um, if, if everyone's on there, I'm not speaking too quickly, takes it, makes it so that we're in compliance with the recent Supreme Court decision that struck down a two-year durational state residency requirement. Maryland, um, it's a county or a jurisdiction residency requirement. It's two years as well. Um, the, the, ten, the Supreme Court case was regarding a Tennessee state durational requirement. So this is slightly different, but... Um, uh, you know, the current makeup of the Court of Appeals isn't really a fan of protectionism, so we have every reason to believe that if this gets challenged, 
we're not likely to prevail to, you know, with the current statute. But what the Supreme Court case did was carve out an exception and said, if your concern is that you have an out-of-state organization and they're not going to be, I mean, if the concern is trying to make sure that any appeals are going to stay in county and stay local, then we can handle that. And that's what we did here. We have a license holder consents to process in Maryland courts and that they have a resident agent so that we can easily serve them um, with process and then we can hold them in Queen Anne's County so that we're not sending Mr. Thompson off to federal court in you know, Iowa to I am good with this in, in terms of to relate it to something we are experiencing now um, with the solar where we're having a hard time tracking people down because well, there was no resident agent required of these solar companies. When they great we, we do now, but we didn't in the past, and collecting from them has become an issue because of that. So I'm in favor of Right, and if they're either a Maryland Corp or they're registered to do business, they're required by state law to have a resident agent to receive service. Mm -hmm. So that's a reason. Pat, you want to add anything to that? Is that well? The other thing it does is strikes the seventy-five percent. What meant to which which one? We're on fourteen oh two. Yes, fourteen oh two. LB seven. It does yes. Yeah, it, it, it changes the the stock ownership requirement uh, as well. So, so you just basically need a resident agent to open a liquor store and consent to Maryland process because you can have a resident agent and still not consent to Maryland process. I'll make a motion. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? There we go. Done. <laughs> All right, 27-1403. Let me address that for a second because really the 1402 and the 1403 do have the one thing in common, and that's the first part of 1403. Correct. Mm -hmm. strikes the 75% stock ownership requirement for corporations as well. Um, so they, they are really, what's being done there is they're being, the first part of that section, the part that I haven't read, um, is really pairing those up. So it's doing away with the 75% ownership. The one you just voted on was on partnerships. This one is on um, corporations. For your Class A beer, wine, liquor. So we're talking package goods stores. Mm -hmm. All right. So really, I would say the way you voted on 1402, I'd like to see you vote the same way on 1403 with regard to that first section, because otherwise they're inconsistent. It wouldn't make sense to make a partnership have one thing and a corporation doesn't. I agree. Yes. Okay. Yep. And with regard to the reason why the board did not strike out the 15% requirement, which petition PET, PET3 does, um, I think there's this misconception that a franchise can't a franchise restaurant can't come here because of a 15% requirement and that is a misperception franchise restaurants can come here in fact many franchise restaurants require the um, managing owner if you will to have at least 10% we're only requiring 5% more than that um, and then there you know there were I will tell you we had every licensee that came to speak about when we had our hearing on this spoke against striking the 15%. They wanted to keep that 15% in here. Every licensee did that. We had what two people spoke in favor of it. Um, and again, I think that there, there's this, they have this misperception that 
they can't bring a franchise he franchise restaurant here when in fact they can. Um, I, I know there was a talk about an Applebee's. I will say the there's no issue with an Applebee's coming here to the extent it's a franchise. Do you see any issue with a franchise restaurant, Mr. Thompson, having getting being granted a license? No, we would have, but it would have the local ownership and the ownership interest. That's true. Mm -hmm. I think the the question that's been generated though is that, and I don't know which of the larger restaurants, you know, have franchise franchises versus being company owned. So I guess the question really is that it it holds back any company owned store from coming here, because your license holders would have to be residents of the state of Maryland and own you know, at least 15% if there were one officer, but up to 45%, it really does stop, you know, a, a company-owned store from coming to this this county. Because in a, in a publicly-owned company, there are many people that own 5%, much less 15% of a publicly-owned company. So, And I, I would just suggest that the majority of the chain restaurants are franchises, so it, it won't be an issue. And like I said, uh, like Chili's, Maggiano's, Red Robin. But if it's not an issue, why, why don't we remove it? If, if it's what's what purpose is it serving then? Uh, well, I will tell you the licensees all spoke in favor of keeping the fifteen percent because it. I, I, my belief is that they think that it's going to interfere with their business. But mm -hmm. I will let the licensees speak if there's any here to why they think it should stay or should not go. Um, but to just strike it because people think that it prevents a franchise from coming here—that's just not. It's not accurate. So they can come here. Um, it, it essentially prevents the company-owned store from coming here. Um, I guess the one reason to have it, aside from protection of other local businesses, is that local control sometimes does matter. Um, I, I liken it to, you know, you go into a community that's rented versus company-owned. If it's your license that, that's at issue and you're running the operation, you're going to be more concerned than maybe a company-owned store that comes here and has a, um, the head of his, that particular uh, restaurant, if you will, hold the license. It's just a quite, you know. Well, do we have any chain restaurants here now? We do, but none with a, a liquor license because it's Cracker Barrel, McDonald's. Right. I mean, they're all right. chain restaurants. So we have none with a liquor license. And does Talbot County have a... Uh, ownership portion to this? Did, did you check to see who else? So, but Talbot County is a unique animal because they're their own. They go by their own rule, but um, they're a charter county. Yes. Okay, that's right. That's right. How about it? I mean, so we could have an Applebee's come here. I will tell you, Applebee's won't come here unless it, to get it current. To, currently, to get an Applebee's franchise right now, you have to have three properties that you want to develop in three different areas of the state. So. And they have a list of the counties they want to develop, and Queen Anne's County is not one of them. Mm -hmm. Chili's, Maggiano, Red Robin, they all require 10% ownership. Your, your managing owner needs to have 10% ownership. So if someone so, were to so come So right to there, us, just by what you just said, the county's requiring 5% more than what they're requiring. Right, and that's just three of them. I mean, there's right. others that have different requirements. But to that point, I mean, I, I look at this as, you know, redevelopment, development, and and the public might want choices. And to have a 15% ownership, you limit those choices. And I, I don't, there's got to be a reason why all these restaurants go out of Queen Anne, or don't go out of Queen Anne's County, reside over the line in Easton, where they have half the population we have. And, you know, I, I'd like to know how, you know, they're able to get five big boxes and, and a dozen 
you know, chain restaurants in Queen Anne's County doesn't have any of those. And, you know, I, I you know, we, we have an issue uh, with some pieces of property that I'm sure that if there wasn't a 15% ownership, maybe something would come into these properties. And, you know, Heather sitting in the back, she just did a report for us showing if and where there's even space to build some of these and, and some of the benefits to them. And, you know, I, for one, think that, uh, you know, if, if we're going to remove, uh, well, if, if we're going to make some of these changes, uh, I, I'm in favor of removing the 15% ownership. And let's see if, if anything does come. Because if something does come when the 15% ownership is lifted, that just tells you that that's why they haven't been coming in the, in the past. If it's not going to make a difference, then it's not hurting anything. So, uh, you know, I, I'm in favor of removing that. I don't, I don't uh, you know, I, I tell you, I'm in a, I own a business, and I would like to have no competition either, but uh, it just isn't the way the world works sometimes. So so be that as it may, I mean, Pat, do you have a problem with, with uh, LB-8 as written as far as with uh, the county? Well, they really, BD-3 strictly addresses the 15%, takes that out. Correct. Um, LB-8 also deals with the residency um, requirement for Class A. So. We'd have to marry the two. Right. So to adopt subsection A of LB-8 in place of PET-3 subsection A. About the 75%. Right, and to make it a Maryland entity and... To comply with the SCOTUS decision. You could do them. It's two separate bills, and and that's what that's I'm what saying. I'm saying. Yeah, let's do those. Let's do those because those have to be done because of the Supreme Court decision. We know those are going to get done. Let's get those off the table. That then that'll leave the other portion of it. I'd like to uh, argue the other side of this one, sir. Fire away. Um, I don't think any of us think that anywhere in this county there's a shortage of a place to get a drink to start with. I mean, Alcohol, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, and this may be, I'm not trying to relitigate prohibition again, mm -hmm. but when we're busy fighting the death rate of drugs, and alcohol has three times the death rate that drugs do, I'm not discouraging it, but I see no reason to encourage it, as we did a week ago with this loan business to the brewery. Loan business? Went out. The, the EDIF. Yeah. Um, no, they the economic Tenet development group. Yeah. fund gave money to or by making it an easier entry. Mm -hmm. And I am protective of county businesses. I think that things that if you bring a Walmart in here and destroy all the hardware stores, I don't think that's a good thing necessarily. And equally, I don't think encouraging competition. I'm not here to discourage it, but I'm not going out of my way to encourage it or to try to develop undeveloped property. I think that the sort of social issues and the, I don't think it's creating new business, new dollars for the county. It's just going to redistribute what there is within the system. If it was something that brought in some business that wasn't already in play, mm -hmm. that would be something beneficial to the county, but just to take employees and dollars from other businesses that are already county businesses is not necessarily a benefit to the county. So those are, to me, cogent arguments. 
Okay. Well, I also believe that there's different price points in different establishments. Sure. And some people don't go out to eat at all because they just can't afford it. So if they had an opportunity to go somewhere where they could afford it, and it does generate jobs, and I was told that one pad site is normally about a $2 million improvement between land and property, which adds revenue and adds jobs. And again, if, they, if, they're not, if, if, they're not, if they don't think there is a, uh, businesses aren't going to build just because you say you can. They have to know that they're going to make money. And, and again, I think that, you know, Heather is probably the one I would direct you some of these questions to. Uh, but if, if we're not interested in doing those kind of things, then we need to stop wasting money on other kinds of things, which brings us to a whole different, different discussion. So, and I, I see your point. I really do. But uh, I, I would be I would be uh, curious if there's and, and I mean, this is I mean, we're ultimately going to make a decision that's going to affect, you know, the 51,000 people that that live here in Queen Anne's County. Um, I mean, I've, I, for one, would love an opportunity to 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 get a $18 New York strip steak and not have to go to a restaurant where the next cheapest one is twenty five dollars. So getting to Commissioner Moran's. Of, of having choices, but we're getting ready to make a decision that ultimately affects everybody that lives in Queen Anne's County, even the consumers. And and do we know where the consumers stand on this? Do they even have the idea that w- that we could potentially be affecting uh, or make a decision that uh, allows a franchise chain to come here? Do they want it or do they not want it? I mean, is there any way that that Miss Tonelli is there any way that we can figure out a way to find out? In, in a two-week period, what, what the public wants or doesn't want? I don't know I if that's just, asking too much. To that point, I would just add that, so, and I researched bringing franchisees, a franchise restaurant here, and they want to come into a certain area. They want to come into an area much like Ken Island, much like Easton, because they're more metropolitan. They, they don't want to come to North County, North County where we have plenty of room for parking lots and where they could really use some economic development. So I think that's going to be your other issue. I personally would love to have an Applebee's here. I'm only conveying what the people that spoke about the bill thought about. And I, I just think that if you get them, the places that they're going to want to come are the places that already have 48 restaurants right now, 48 licensees we have right now in District 1. I'm sorry, District 4. Four. That's where they're going to want to go. They want the rooftops. Yeah. And to answer your question, Commissioner, we could schedule a public hearing on that matter as well and solicit public comment as well. Again, I just think, you know, (laughs) it's the public that elects us. Um, And and so it's a lot easier to sit up here and make decisions if we know that we have, you know, the general consensus from the folks that live in the community. I mean, I know what I want, but it's not what I want. You know, it's what the citizens of Queen Anne's County want. So. No, nothing we vote on in these laws is set in stone. Anything can be changed the next year. So, you know, I... Well, one of the things, George, to your point that you already said, so you said 10% is, com- is, is kind of a is, a... is a common point for France. And this has one, been one of my concerns, and I've discussed it with the other commissioners when this came up, is, you know, I look at our local businesses, our restaurants, I look at how much they give back to the community and their local residents for the most part. And that's, that's, that means a lot in this community. We have, we're a very uh, philanthropic community, and those restaurants and the people that own them are, are a big part of that, and they give back. 
But then when I put my economic development hat on and I look at it from the other side, shutting out businesses that are potential uh, developments and redevelopments here in the county is also uh, not the best way to do business. To Mr. Wilson's point, I, I don't agree with that, I think. To, to Jim's point, that's, that is new business when it comes in, and you have a, uh, an influx of new traffic coming down 301 with opportunities to develop pad sites in Millington, and not necessarily in Queen Anne's side of Millington, maybe the Kent County side of Millington. So there's going to be opportunities that are going to present themselves here in the next 10 years, especially with the, what's going on with the Bay Bridge and that kind of thing. So I, I kind of, and then back to Phil, I kind of agree with Phil that this is something, this particular one is one that I would rather see reviewed a little bit more before we make a decision. And I'm even kind of teetering on the fact to go to the 10 percent because then you're still looking for that local ownership. Um, but you, I, I'm against the corporate stores, and I'll, I'll state this publicly, because they come in, they'll drive the prices down, they'll put the local restaurants out of business. It happens everywhere. And, and I know a lot of people will deny that, but it does happen, and that's what they do. So I, I don't want to see that happen. So if, but I've always stated that if you have skin in the game and you're a county resident and you're paying your income taxes here in the county and you have your business here in the county, then I'm all for that. So, I, I mean, maybe there's a compromise there to take that to that 10% because you're saying that's something where a franchise can actually get on board with, and then, that, and then we see where that goes. Instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater going to none, we go to 10% and see if there's any uptick or any interest at that point. I know all of you understand, we understand, all the public does, but, you know, we're all just um, making a recommendation to a delegation. I mean, we don't have the final say anyway. So I think you're suggesting that maybe we look at it a little more is, is you know, it ought to be heated because you're going to have to sell the delegation on it. It's the thing that the public wants. That's really what it comes down to. <coughs> they're your constituents and they're their constituents, and it's state, it's state law, so it's their call. So, so do we have to make a motion to? Well, I'd like to strike part. Well, make a motion, but striking part B from this for right now, but past fourteen oh three, the other to be consistent with fourteen oh two in terms of the seventy five percent. I think you're saying strike PED three and just go with LB eight. Yeah, that's it. Okay, that's what I meant to say. So at LB eight and at ten percent or at fifteen percent. I mean, I. He's talking about the no, top I think he wants to keep I'm just saying, yeah, I just want to get the top section. And have right. a hearing, is what you're saying? Yeah, to, to, to vet the other part. That's section B? Yeah. Section B? Yes. But the LB8 section B is just change of residency. It doesn't deal with the 15 percent at all. No, I think, but if I understand what you're saying, you know, I mentioned earlier we need to make the uh, corporate section consistent with the partnership that's going to be voted on a minute ago. I could that 27-1402. The uh, corporate equivalent of that is in 27-1403. Right. He's saying a. keep that A and right. just strike everything strike, back to it. Strike the B. He's saying. With the 15 percent requirement, changing that to, well, you guys aren't changing it. There's right. there's, right. A, there's an ask to change it, so I guess we're not really changing it. PET3 changes that 15 percent. And so that PET3 removes any requirement. Right, we we'll stay with LBA, like Pat said. Right. Mm -hmm. Stay with LBA as is, right. yes. So that we would have a hearing on, get the public's input? Is that yes. the thought process? And that's that's you. You want to have a hearing on? I, I wonder if that's what they're. Saying. You're going to be able to explain that to the public what the 15 percent ownership is, when, it, and I'm just speaking out loud. I don't mind if people hear me. That there is no cost to the public 
But do we have the same thing when we start talking about economic development in, in certain funds where that does affect the public? Do we do we take their opinion on that? I'm just no. I, 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 I just think point. sometimes when when you, you well, anyways. Okay. So did you understand what he said about striking B? Everything. B stand. No, it's uh, staying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. Right. Stays, right. Be I think A in in what is. 271403 is what we'll be all right. You're yes. Mm-hmm. So you want 271403 A 1 and 2 from LB8 placed into LPEC3. Right. Okay. I don't think that's what he said. No. no. I, you know, we you don't, don't need PET3 at all right now, right? That's what I'm saying. They're just saying, he's just saying you voted for LB8. Right. As okay. is. And not addressing the 15%, not gotcha. changing the 15%. That's his motion. It is a motion okay. <laughs> to to accept LB eight fourteen oh three. Okay, we need a second. I'll second it. Uh, this is A only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <coughs> okay, we have a motion and a second. Any other discussion? The only thing I can say is you almost have to do it because we're, we have I got a time crunch. I, I get it. It's the time crunch. I know. Even if you want to do it later, I, know. I think the delegation, we they need to hear no from problem. us pretty soon. I get yeah. it. Yeah. All right, so, and that's the only reason I'm voting for it, so we can change it and make them compliant. So all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Okay. Okay, so what do you want to do with Section 1403B? Do we want to have a hearing on that? Yes. We'll discuss, we'll, 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 we'll just, we'll discuss how we're going to make yeah. that Work. Yeah. Right. You might want to have Mr. Mon check and see what our time crunch might be on when do we need really get these bills to the delegation. January 25th. Oh. <laughs> That's when they have to be put in the office. That's when you can guarantee that we can get in there. Guaranteed to get in right. for they hearing. Have draft, they still have to draft. That's right. right. You said by the, as long as we get to them by the 25th, they, we know it's, they get it written. I think they can get it written later, but that's okay. Okay. Let's we'll, we'll wait for another year. All right. 27-101. This adds LB a definition of a controlling interest. Read together. That's no, Excuse me? The next two should no, be together. LB9 and 10 should be read together. There. 27-101 and okay. 27-1404. Okay. And so, I will make a motion to accept LB9 and LB10. They're pretty straightforward. Oh, I disagree. But uh, we have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. Uh, all right. And discussion. Well, go ahead and explain what these are. Okay. I warn you, my me- cold medicine is wearing off, so. You all made it. Uh, yes. Yeah, our spot. Yeah. No problem. My eyes are watering. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, there's a provision in the, the application section of the code that states that an applicant must certify they don't have a financial interest in any other licensed establishment. Um, this is being offered to address that, and, and the way we seek to address it is by defining controlling interest, uh, defining a financial interest as being a controlling interest, uh, meaning more than 50%. You would actually control. So you could have a partial interest in a number of licenses, but you could only have a controlling interest in one license. And we... I looked at all of the other jurisdictions. Montgomery County has a carve-out definition for controlling interest for their local uh, statutes. So that's why I thought this was the best way to tackle this issue. And the problem arose when um, uh, a licensee passed away and left the 
property to several individuals. So this would allow that that person, what you know, one of those people to become the license, the new licensee. The other issue is if you, you know, having any interest, a financial interest in any restaurant or bar, can be as little as the property the bar sits on. So, um, and there's. If you were well, to take the statute, the current statute, to its logical end, that would prevent some of the current licensees from even holding um, a license. What does the, what does the statute say now? I mean, how many licenses can any I, interest? I, an applicant, more than one, right? So, are we in compliance there everywhere? As long as you're not an applicant, you can have a controlling interest in as many as you want. It's Correct. the applicant who can't have a have any interest. The actual name on the liquor license. In, in any license other than the one that he's applying to, to obtain. All right, so if you had a restaurant in Centerville that was doing well and you said, I want to open one on Kent Island now, and you're the 100% owner, you can't do that because you can't be the applicant for both. Correct. Right? Correct. But you could be a front person who owns a controlling interest in a number of them, and someone else own that 15% mm -hmm. and, and actually be your applicant, because that applicant wouldn't have the interest in the other. But you could have an owner that owned a significant interest. Mm -hmm. Or controlling interest at this point when it's defined. Yeah, controlling interest. Right. Does this go for liquor? Uh, class A, is this for liquor stores, or is this just? Every, everything. This is everything? Everything. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So that that's interesting. So that you can own multiple you can own multiple licenses and most multiple establishments, but only one license. But no, right now you can only have one license. Right. Yeah, only be but named. We're allowed, we're, we're getting ready to say not only can you have you can have more than one license. We're going to make sure that you don't have any steadfast competition. Because, I don't know, I think that this is ties directly into the other one, and if you're going to do one, you shouldn't do the other. I, I'm, I'm not following your logic on that. Well, I mean, if, if, you know, we just, we just voted to say that we're going to keep the 15% ownership. So now, you know, you can own multiple restaurants and have multiple licenses, where before it was one license, one person. Or, or just interest in it, too. So right. one example is a, if a licensee owns the land that another premise, licensed premises operates on, well, they really shouldn't have that liquor license under the current statute because they have a financial interest. But just a, if it was a controlling financial interest, it would be something different. So this is what we're trying to do is make it so that people can have an interest, can be, we want the people on the license to be stakeholders. We want them to have teeth in the game. We want them to be someone that's here that, you know, that's part of the community. Um, and we don't want to prevent some people from having a license simply because they're, they have a financial interest in another restaurant, no matter how small it may be. And, and Not just restaurant, they can have a liquor store and then they can't have a restaurant, right? I mean, more, any multiple liquor license. Right, and it's if they have any other interest in any licensed premises. But as it stands now, you just all you're really doing is you're getting a front person for your license that's local, and a lot of them are doing that. And, and you're still you still have controlling interest in multiple restaurants, Jim. That's what I'm saying. It's going on now. It's just you've got other front people that are dipping their hand in the kitty um, for the license. I said many many times. So we, we just we're we, just trying to cut cut the, that little front guy from dipping his hand in the oh, kitty I, and let I, the controlling I, interest have it, right? Well, my as thing long is as I understand how that works. If, I'm, you, I'm if you're the guy with, with all the skin in the game, I think you should reap the benefits. Yeah. So. 
Well, when you, especially when you don't let Halo skin come in the game. So, all right. You got a motion? And a, you got a second? Who was the second? Bill. Okay. Any other discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Did you vote? Got to pick one or the other. Pick or choose. It's all good. I'm going to go with you on this Okay. Yeah. Look at that. There'll be an opposed, too. Okay. So went three, two. All right. I think we're done, then? Three, two. Uh, three yeah. Two. Do we have any, Pat, that, or, or Todd, that we had to... We have well, one. We addressed them all? That's all the, the liquor board uh, all the items. Right. So we have, yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. We've addressed all those under okay. Section 2. Mm-hmm. We do have one, one for Pat and uh, one more for Pat and John. So the next one... You guys, welcome to stay if you want. Okay. To. Yeah. Th- thank, thank you, you very much, Jeff. Thank you. And, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Yep. Thanks very much. Even it's organized. <laughs> organized, uh, yeah, chaos, right? Organized <laughs> <laughs> The next one we have, commissioners, is a, a bill that we put together to address the uh, control of the ramps off of Route 50 on Ken Island to uh, provide, you know, local government more authority to regulate. During times of heavy congestion, the traffic uh, flow and keep those those motorists off the local roads, um, so we can provide emergency services. This is transportation article 25. Yeah, and that's the line which I came up with. Yep, I looked at You had a chance to look at it. I did. I'm open to revising it if you anybody's got any ideas. Better way to say it. So I think there's a fair argument that we have the ability to do this now. This would just make it a lot clearer if we can get this passed. How do they define severe conve- congestion? Severe traffic it congestion. It isn't defined. So would I guess whenever, whenever, they're going to contest us, they're going to contest us. On whenever we feel like there's congestion that avoids our ability to deliver services, and we we would define okay. that. Okay, I'm good with that. But if good. it passes, then it can be codified later in terms of. As to what severe congestion is? I'm sure it's going to have a regulatory side to it, right? Uh, I'm sure there'll be some yeah. other input on it, General Assembly, as to some tweaks to it then that's going to need opposition on there. Yeah, if the state passes this, you can stop the local. Right. Okay. Motion to. Well, I, before we do, I'd just like to remark that this seems to me to, to in, in, this, in this question right here, inhabit devils. Because right now, if 18 is jammed up, it is the fault of the state. Once, if this came through and we had it with no funding and no capacity to control those multiple exits, suddenly the problem becomes ours. And I guess there's no way to attach funding or request for funding to the authority to do the closing. Because it seems to me that if you have the right to close it, you should also have the right to be aided by the state because they cre- created the problem in a sense. Yeah, I think if you so, put a funding mechanism in there, I don't you think make it a lot more difficult to pass. This is trying to eat the elephant one bite at a time. And get, I, I if we could get this, it would be a huge improvement. Well, it, 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 I, I guess. I'm I, just, I, I, I'm I'm just, just it, concerned. It could become something quite expensive. You, you get out there on a weekend, as I have with, with Hoffman and Company. And you see that with eight people on duty, we can't control it. I mean, I, I don't want to own a problem we can't control. I guess well, but I'm it's not really owning it because yeah. even if they, if this passes, yeah, it's still up to us to do it. So if we can't do it, 
It's not that we own it. It's not our traffic. I, I don't understand what you mean by well, what Well, I mean, because now the public could hold us responsible for mm -hmm. not controlling it. And right now they can't because it's the state's fault that we can't. The minute if that thing passed, we would now be the responsible agent for keeping 18 clear, which I think is not So, but doing. what is the alternative? Not to try? I didn't suggest it was an alternative to it, sir. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I think if you put, if you try to put, if you try to push for the funding side of it and you put, a, and you make, a, and you try to put a fiscal note on it, it's dead on arrival. Right. I mean, I, you, you've got to leave it general enough right now, Steve, to get it through, to give the authority, and then. Yeah. And, I, and you know, we, we own it already, right? With the, right. With the, if there's a bad traffic, there's a lot of choice words being said with the commissioner's names next exactly. to it, whether it's any traffic. I mean, so. We, we already we already have that. We're problem. already getting blamed for it, Steve. Yeah, so, so. Take I know, we just spent the last six months convincing the public that it's not our traffic, that it's the state's traffic. <laughs> but we still get blamed for it, so it doesn't but, matter. I mean, yeah. so this is I mean, this is trying to try to alleviate that issue and, and give us more force to try to be able to. I mean, it implement is, those is the mechanism if we got this? Do we have a real sticker game that would work, or some kind of mechanism whereby we can actually make this yes. thing? Yeah. Yes. Work? Yes, but the problem is, and I think it's it's a problem for the sheriff's department also because I think there is a struggle. To, do we have the authority to do it on our own? And if we get the the legislation says yes, we can do it. I guarantee you, there'll be more robust efforts to make sure that that traffic stays out on Route 50. But there's no doubt there would be if we had the personnel to do it, but right now we certainly do not. Well, we do, have we, have because we, we're, not, we're not attacking it in the right way. From so, where, Jim? Where would, where would the effort come from, you think? Well, no, we put $50,000 into it last year. For the overtime, right. And we had it for the overtime, and we had, uh, on an average, I think it was between five and six deputies, and that's all we need, because we'll bring in some DPW people also. To, anything that we do is going to be a cluster for the first two months right. until people right. start getting into that, you know, the, the flow of it and that routine of it. And, and the, the, the weekly travelers back and forth to the beaches realize we're not getting around on this anymore. Right. And they change their travel. I mean, it's just, it's, it's going to be a struggle, but yeah. I'd rather do the struggle now where 50% of the time is backed up versus 100% of the time. Yeah. And, and so it's just part of We could also close physically close exits during those times, which would exactly. require manned exactly. exit closing. Right. Correct. So, yeah, people can know from <clears throat> 10 a.m. on a Sunday to 4 p.m. This exit, this exit will be closed. Esbitt Road, Winchester Creek, uh, Castle Marina, and, and the exit on 18 heading west after the Narrows. Mm -hmm. you, you shut all those down without a sticker, you're not getting through there. Now, right. now to that end, is that something that in anticipation getting it that we as a county should be looking for uh, billboard space for actual electronic signage to not rely on the state unless since we're taking control of that shouldn't we provide signage somewhere as soon that we as, control yeah as, as soon as we, if if we get control yeah. i mean this is a this is a big ask yeah i mean just cuz we're sending this doesn't right. mean yeah it's a big ask and i you know it's an uphill battle but we have got to see we have to be able to convince them of how bad it is and and i just until they're in it they don't I, see it i believe I believe we owe it to the citizens of Queen Anne's County to try to yeah. at right. least try. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now a motion to approve PET four. Second. Uh, any further discussion? Seeing none. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed. So moved. Thank you, commissioners. We have one final proposed bill, and that was uh, from our bond council. And I had asked uh, John to. Uh,
talk with bond council. This is for the uh, Eastern Shore Code Home Rule counties, special taxing districts, and this provides kind of a safety valve if and when we ever uh, sell bonds for a, a TIF for infrastructure. Um, conceivably, uh, you know, in the Kenton Arrows area, provides a special taxing authority to, to levy special assessments on the properties that benefit from those um, infrastructure improvements, and this would, this would be enabling legislation to give us the authority to do that if there would be a need to do that. And so it uh, uh, includes uh, all the code of home rule counties um, on the list oh, to, yeah. to be able to do that. So it includes all the eastern shore. On the eastern shore, of, right. Yeah. Because you have to, you can't enact a law for one a code of home rule county in a various subgroups. There's several subgroups of code counties. Any enact law has to be for all of them. So this affects Caroline, Kent, uh, Queen Anne, and Worcester. You sat down. And you it, want to say something? It, it um, this is a uh, it's special tax or what's called a backup tax. It's primarily there for the investors because if we sold bonds, if we sold TIF bonds. Um, you know, they're going to ask the question of, you know, are the assessments going to increase? Are they going to provide the money, which our model and our study says they will, but, you know, for the investors, you have sort of a backup mechanism where there is a special tax, but it's only levied on the developers. It's not levied on the individual property. So the developers are those, you know, which would be in the TIF would, would have to agree to it. Um, beforehand, and they would be levied this backup tax. It's, you know, I think pretty minimal. I mean, it's not, you know, the major portion of the funding is, of course, from the, the tax increment increases. But it's the, wherever a TIF has happened in the state, um, there are other counties, if you look at the law, most of the Western Shore counties have this authority because they have TIFs. Um, and they've used this again. It's just sort of um, it's enabling. It's not authorizing any particular tax. But if you're in the business of having a TIF, it's a it's a mechanism that you probably need to uh, sort of make it work and kind of tie up the loose ends. We need it. Okay. This was recommended by Bond Council as well to yes to by Bond Council right and by Municap our consultant who has worked on these throughout <coughs> the state. Okay. You don't need a motion, you just, or do you need a motion for us to? I guess we yeah, probably we do, do right do a motion short. I so move. He so moves, and I'll second it. Any other discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So move. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate all that. Okay, that's all we had for the uh, agenda this evening. Press we have and uh, press and public comments. If there's any, any more press and public comments. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have. You, do you need to read all that? Or? I don't need to. No. You don't need to read it. Who would like to speak? Anybody like to speak? Barry? Okay. Senators, Barry Waterman, Centerville, Maryland. Um, I'd like to just say that I think you made the wrong call on the ownership issue. Um, I probably was the one who started this discussion because, as you know, we've been planning for years a mixed-use development at Wheatlands, and I was personally shocked to find that Queen Anne's County has laws that prevent competition in any industry. We have corporate stores 
in real estate in Queen Anne's County. We have corporate stores for auto parts. We have corporate stores that pick up our trash. We get all kinds of corporate stores. So I don't think corporate necessarily is uh, the problem. Um, I'm not going to go through the reasons why I think some of those corporate stores could be a valuable asset, but you guys have the staff to tell you that. You bring your uh, someone from the planning department up here. I think you're going to find that they're going to their opinion is likely to be that these stores can enhance commercial development and make them more viable. I think if you bring your economic development uh, person up here, you're going to find that these stores produce a ton of taxes, um, real estate taxes, sales taxes, and jobs. Um, I don't think the public's coming out to tell you what their opinion on this issue is because there aren't that many that care. But go to any uh, one of those company-owned stores in Middletown or Annapolis or Easton next Saturday night and count how many Queen Anne County residents you see coming in and out the door. I think you're going to find it's a substantial number of them. Um, so anyway, you, you made that decision, it's fine, but, but I do think that those corporate stores could provide a significant boost to economic development. For those of you who don't want development, you're probably not going to be in favor of no matter what it is. But for those who do want good commercial development, I haven't seen a substantial development proposal, ones that came and died and went, that didn't plan on some type of restaurant stores there. And the problem with building new restaurants, opening a restaurant today uh, is it, it involves a lot of money, but it doesn't involve the kind of money to go build a new one on a pad somewhere. Um, that requires a tremendous amount of cash that I don't know that that many people have, and those corporate stores have got the deep pockets to go spend $2 million to open a brand-new business in Queen Anne's County. Um, I don't think that because you might or might not open the door at some point in time in the future to a corporate store that that means our restaurants are going out of business. They all coexist in Easton. They coexist in, in Middletown and Annapolis. There's all levels of, of opportunity, and I think if you went on the street and started asking people, would you like to uh, have uh, the opportunity to eat at a whatever, TGI Fridays or Applebee's or Outback or whatever, I think you'd find most people would say, yeah, I do now. Whenever I'm in Middletown, I stop and have dinner there. Um, the same person that's, that's having a, a $20 meal at Outback is sure as heck not going and spending $100 for a steak at one of our finer restaurants. Now, I, I don't go to those places very often, but... Every now and then I do. It's fast, it's cheap, and it's convenient. So they serve a purpose. Um, I don't think that we should exclude them just because they might be some level of competition because I don't think the competition is that big. Um, some of the restaurant owners in Queen Anne's County are good friends of mine, and I wouldn't be talking about this if I thought it was going to put anybody out of business because I really don't. I think it's another avenue of, of opportunity to enhance economic development, to provide a choice uh, to the county, and I hope at some point in time in the future you guys will consider that. Thanks. Thank you. Would anybody? Jack? <clears throat> Thanks, Jim. Uh, Jack Broderick, uh, Chester. Hadn't really planned on commenting, but I, about the bridge and the traffic stuff. Um, Jim, you and I haven't always disagreed on it, but I respect your tenacity for trying to stand up and take a stand. And that may be the most important thing right now. Uh, I think we know that efforts to try to block Route 18 are going to be blocked. Um, the, uh, there's an attorney general ruling saying you can't do that. You guys have seen it, I think. We had a 
Well, we'll get a copy. Um, we've been promised that on the BRAG, the Bay Bridge Reconstruction Advisory Group, we had a forum uh, community workshop a couple weeks ago that we had requested the BRAG did uh, be held by MDTA, and they sent it back to the BRAG, said, you guys do it. Well, we did. A lot of different players. Uh, Steve was there. Steve... Parents attended. Um, you guys have been part of this effort. It really is a tough lift. I'm not sure where the legal answer is going to be, but it's got to be, I, I agree, you guys continuing to push and saying we got to do better. Uh, the state has got to, I think, take a stronger leadership role. Um, and we're going to have to involve federal government because it's federal laws and federal taxes that are preventing us from doing anything more. Uh, the state has reconstituted the brag. I'm happy to stay. Steve Wilson uh, has been appointed as a member. I will continue to serve as a member, although not as the chair, which I've held for almost 15 years. Tracy Schultz um, will be stepping up as the newly appointed chair. I think it it gives a good emphasis on emergency services and impact on the community. Uh, there are no easy answers, but I, I applaud you guys. Um, keep pushing. You know what the answer is going to be, but we got to get better help than we've had at this point. And it's only going to continue to get more challenging as we move forward, Jim. I, I think you're right on that. Um, we, we need to keep working, and I applaud you guys for your concern. Uh, keep trying. Um, thanks. Thank you. Would anybody else like to speak? Hi. Uh, Gigi Winley from the Kent Narrows Development Foundation. Happy New Year to all of you. I just wanted to thank you for having that discussion uh, related to the 15% with the uh, liquor license uh, and uh, the Kent Narrows Foundation help, thinks that uh, that discussion should be had. And we look forward to working with you and having more related to that 15%. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? <clears throat> All right. That takes care of that. Motion to adjourn. Sure. Second? Second. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you.